Um, so I started playing volleyball in third grade. So like when you just are hitting the ball all over the place and you just, you want to touch the ball first. That, so from third grade all the way until I was a senior in high school. Um, so for a long time, volleyball was life. Like I looked forward to going to practices because I loved volleyball so much. Um, and I loved playing the game. And I actually wanted to play at a college level, um, but God had other plans for me. And some of you have heard that story. Uh, but the last several weeks, we've been talking about this idea of improvisation, right? Tommy and Stephanie have led us in some awesome sermons about the practice of improvisation and the practice of resurrection. Well, volleyball, while not intentionally, has a little bit of improvisation sometimes. Uh, it's not supposed to have that. Uh, but you've got six players on, on your side, on your court, right? And, and you want to hit the ball three times on, on each side. And you want it to be like a bump, a set, and a spike. And if you've watched volleyball, you know that it's so beautiful when there's just this flow of rallies of bumps, sets, and spikes. It's just beautiful. Um, so in an ideal play, you want that to happen. You want that on each side, and you want that to keep going until somebody gets a point. Bump, set, spike, bump, set, spike. This is the flow of the game. Uh, and you know that it's so satisfying when there's a big rally and then someone just smashes it on the other side, right? You're like, yes. But sometimes the plays don't always go as planned because the ball is somewhat unpredictable, right? Someone on the other team will, will hit the ball and it's not always the same person uh, that hits it and they don't always hit it to the same place, right? They're trained to hit it where the other team won't get it so that they can get a point. Um, and so someone on the receiving side will bump it, right? They have their hands like this. Um, and if it doesn't hit your arms at just the right spot and at just the right angle, you might shank the ball and it'll go the total opposite direction that you wanted it to go. Um, and so, and, and that's something that you're going to pay for at practice the next day, am I right? Like, your coach is going to be like, that wasn't good, Valerie. You're going to do, you know, two miles tomorrow. Um, but this kind of move requires the team to improvise a little bit, right? The setter is often not going to set a shanked ball unless they want to break their finger. Uh, and so the hitter's probably not going to be set up for a good hit. So you might, at, at that point, the ultimate goal is to get the ball over the net in three hits or less, right? So the team's chasing after the ball um, if it goes in the opposite direction just to get it over the net because you don't want to lose that point. Uh, so you might have a bump bump spike or a bump 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 or a block set bump as long as we get it over the net and while it's not ideal in the coach's mind or even the teams there's a little bit of room for improvisation because we want to get it over the net so it is with the church not just today but throughout all history and it'll all make sense in about 20 minutes when I make my final point because <laughs> what would a good sermon be if I didn't make 20 points in between um but if you have your Bibles with you, uh, will you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3? Um, and I'll be reading verses 14 through 21 today. And in this passage, like I said before, Paul is offering a prayer. Um, the speaker was offering a prayer for this church in Ephesus. So like many prayers, like these kids were talking about, it's we're praying for something to happen, for God to do something, right? Um, for, for, and Paul is praying for the Ephesians to get it. He wants them to get what he's praying for. So hear the word of the Lord today from Ephesians chapter 3, starting at verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, 
so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. So this passage starts off kind of funny, right? For this reason, what reason? Paul, you can't just leave us hanging. You can't just start a phrase like that. Well, luckily, there's this little thing called context. So, you know, stuff before the passage and after the passage. So we're not left with just this passage. Um, In fact, if we back up a little bit, Paul didn't actually leave us hanging uh, because he prayed this before our prayer today. In Christ and through faith in Christ, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. So we're not left without any reason, right? So here Paul is approaching the Father. Excuse me. Kneeled before him with freedom and confidence and prays for the church in in Ephesus. Um, He prays for these things to happen for the Ephesians. Paul is approaching God on their behalf. And mind you, Paul is in prison um, and, and writing this to the Ephesians. So imagine like the Ephesians worries. It'd be like me trying to give you guys this sermon today, but I'm in prison. So I'm like trying to Skype you guys and like give the sermon and pray for you. Um, You guys might be a little worried about me that I'm, you know, sitting in a prison cell. No big deal. Uh, Hopefully that never happens. But um, the beauty of the word of God uh, is that this prayer is not just for the Ephesians, Uh, But it's for us today, because the word of God transcends time and place, right, if we allow it into our hearts. And we know this prayer is for us today, because Paul starts with, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Every family in heaven and on earth. The creation and everything in it belongs to God, and God belongs to every family in heaven and on earth. See, there's no indication of time. Like, no, God just belongs to the families from, you know, 1 AD to 20 AD. No, God belongs to every family. Um, And and Paul continues, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I love that word dwell. Like, I just think of, like, when I drink coffee, Coffee just dwells within me. I just love it. And there's beauty in the original Greek language that we don't always get when we uh, read our English translations. It doesn't always translate well. Um, But the words that Paul uses for inner being uh, and for heart in this passage are really pointing to the same thing. And that thing is the inner self. Um, And if that doesn't make any more sense, what Paul is asking is not that Jesus would literally like come and, you know, get in our organ that pumps blood and, like, keeps us alive. But it goes beyond that. When we see the word heart in Scripture, it's pointing to the very core of who we are. You know, we hear people say, from the bottom of my heart. That's what that means, the very, 
being of who I am. And so the inner self is this very core, created to connect with God and be empowered by the Spirit to do so. And, and I think that's so beautiful, that there's nothing we can really do in our own power uh, to become a dwelling place for Christ. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves ready for that. But Christ dwells within us already because we have been strengthened with the power of the Holy Spirit to be a dwelling place for Christ. So examine your heart today. Is it ready to be a dwelling place for Christ? Could Jesus move in today and and feel at home? I know I have to check my heart every day uh, to make sure that I'm living in such a way that Christ can dwell in me. So we move forward uh, to, to this next part of the passage where Paul talks about being rooted and established in love. And these are two very different words, right? Uh, we, when we hear rooted, we think of like a tree or a plant or something and how the roots are kind of the most important part going deep and wide into the earth uh, to give the tree strength. Um, and when we, and we think of established, we might think of like a building, right? Uh, like this building was established in such and such year. Um, I don't know what year this building was actually established, uh, but it's been here for a while. Uh, but when we think about it, when we put it that way, the words aren't all that different, right? Rooted and established. They're kind of pointing to the same thing. And, and what Paul is, is trying to get at is more with established, more than being a word that denotes time, it also means a foundation has been laid from which something can be built, something sturdy and unmovable. Um, if you've ever heard N.T. Wright talk, he's one of my favorite theologians. He has a beautiful British accent. <laughs> and he says, he says this about those two words. Christ's love is what we put our roots down into, and that same love is also the firm foundation from which our lives are built. So listen again to the following words. I'm going to read part of the passage again. Uh, Because at first glance, they kind of seem unrelated, you know, this being rooted and established with what Paul has to say next. But what we know about being rooted and established, hear these words again from Ephesians chapter 17. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. So we've got here a multidimensional love, right? A love that needs a people, a church, a body to be rooted and established from which it can grow and build. Because the more it builds and grows, the wider, the longer, the higher, and the deeper it will reach. It'll reach beyond places that we can reach, uh, beyond what we can ask or imagine, right, is what Paul says. And and that leads us to the next part of the passage, which is my personal favorite. And by favorite, I mean least favorite because it's the hardest for me. Uh, But Paul says, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. He prays right before this that we might grasp this love of of God, right? This high, deep, long, uh, wide love of God. But then in the same sentence says that we can't know this love. Paul make up your mind, bro. Like, what do you mean I can't know the love of God that you asked me to know? Grasping the love of God is going to be like a wild goose chase. But then I step back, and when I think about this, I think, 
Could it be that a wild goose chase is precisely what God intended for such love? That the love of Christ might be something that we never cease searching for? I'm going to go on a rabbit trail because every good sermon has about 22 of those. But as a Christian people, um, and this, this fits in because Paul is praying here, right? As a Christian people, don't we proclaim that when we pray, we believe God can do the impossible? So Paul here is praying for the impossible. Um, and, and that's a beautiful thing because we proclaim that God can do the impossible. I mean, we've sung that song several times the last couple months uh, that claims the love of God is overwhelming, never-ending, and reckless, right? You know what song I'm talking about? Oh, the overwhelming, never... Yeah, that song. Well, if, if you're friends with any, like, music pastors on Facebook, you know that when that song came out, there was some debate over the use of the word reckless. Well, God isn't reckless. Idaho drivers are, <laughs> which is true. And, and while reckless can mean careless, right, what I think the song and Paul challenges us to do and what Paul is communicating is saying that God will never stop loving and moving in his people. Maybe God is careless and that God doesn't care if you don't want that love in your life because God is going to love you anyway. And God is going to put people in your life that are going to love you despite your stubbornness, or despite what situation you find yourself in. And even more, God is going to use you. God is going to use us as the church to love people. Um, and Wright says something uh, awesome, again, in his British accent, uh, about what God has done in Jesus, God is doing in the church. So if you think about what Jesus was doing in the New Testament, he was kind of challenging the norms of society, right? He was uh, healing people on the Sabbath, even when the Pharisees didn't want him to. He's like, well, I'm going to love this guy anyway, and I'm going to heal him. And the Pharisees didn't like that. So in some ways, Jesus was kind of reckless with this love. And so what God has done in Jesus, God is doing in the church. We will never know the depth of the love of God because it is so deep. It is so wide and so high and so long that no person besides Jesus himself could reach it in their own power, which is why Christ has sent the Holy Spirit to empower us and fill us with this love. Let me tell you something that has made all the difference in my life when I think about this passage about not knowing. We live in a place and a time, right, that, that values knowledge, uh, we strive to know everything we can possibly know because we've been taught that maybe knowledge equals power, uh, that the more we know, the more power we have over someone who doesn't know. But knowledge, as it's used in Scripture, with this passage being no exception, is, is not that knowledge equals power. Wright says knowing doesn't always require proving. And, and that's very true of how it's used in Scripture. And in fact, the definition uh, of knowledge um, as it's used in this passage and in a lot of Scripture is this. Observation and recognition of something within the range of one's senses. Acquaintance of a personal nature which includes a response of the knower. So in other words, knowledge isn't power. Knowledge is experience. 
Knowledge is experience of trying to know what you want to know. The more we experience and live into the love of Christ, the more we know God. Um, and with the, with the teens on Wednesday nights and Sunday nights, we've been talking about who we are. Um, and the more we know God, the more we know ourselves. So not all hope is lost because we can know this love, right? There's, there's a little bit of hope there. Uh, because knowledge doesn't always mean power. But we can know to the extent of our knowing. But now I'm starting to sound a little bit like Paul, kind of confusing. So let me put it another way. We've been given power through the Holy Spirit to know the love of God at the level of which we're able. And I love that. I don't want to know everything there is to know about the love of God. Not because I can't, but because it wouldn't be reckless anymore. There would be nothing more to chase after. Are we up for the challenge? And now for my actual favorite part of the passage, not sarcastic this time. Uh, The very reason that Paul is praying for the Ephesians and us to grasp the love of God um, is that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I just love that language. It's a little redundant, but that's intentional that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And this is really kind of the summative piece of this passage today, and perhaps even the whole book of Ephesians, uh, because this is the pivotal portion of the prayer. Paul is returning everything to God and giving all the glory to God. And why is this the pivotal passage? Well, I wouldn't be a good Wesleyan if I didn't talk about holiness or sanctification. Uh, But this is a a sanctification phrase, the fullness of God. This is a life of holiness. A life filled to the measure of all the fullness of God is a holy life. This is where heaven and earth meet. And as a Christian denomination, right, we, we proclaim the reality that Jesus is fully God and fully human, right? So it seems fitting that Paul's prayer for the church is that we would live into that fullness, that Christ's church might embody the weaving together of the divine and the human. God is calling the church to be active participants in the kingdom. Little taste tests of the kingdom of God, as, as Tommy said last week. Or maybe it was Stephanie, I can't remember. But little, little foretastes of the kingdom. And this is what resurrection life is all about, right? This is what we've been talking about, the practice of resurrection participating in the merging of the human and the divine. Practicing resurrection life requires an ongoing relationship with the one who was resurrected and is resurrecting us, filling us with new life each day, redeeming what seems beyond redemption and restoring what is broken. This is good news, amen? So you're probably sitting in your seats there like, what does this have to do with volleyball, Valerie? Come on. Well, like I said, it wouldn't be a good sermon if I didn't make 17 points before getting to the actual one. So remember how I said that, you know, sometimes the volleyball goes all over the place. Well, I also talked about wild goose chase. So chasing the volleyball sometimes is like a wild goose chase. We may not, we're, we may not, Uh, be doing everything as we're supposed to on on our side of the the court, but we're going to give it our all to get it over the net, right? We may not always grasp or understand the love of God, 
especially when it calls us out of our comfort zones, right? To do things like love our enemies or pray for those who persecute us. I don't know if I want a part of that, God. That's a little too hard for me. But God is doing more than we can ever ask or imagine. So don't stop chasing that love. Never stop loving others, church, because God is using you to bring the world to himself, to bring the kingdom of God to earth. So love wide and love long and high and deep so that others might look at us and say, man, those people are reckless. Those people love well. Um, I'm going to invite the the praise team to come on back up here um, and the servers, those who are helping with communion. Um, I don't know if you picked up on it, but if you're like me, you noticed that the passages we read from before said something about food. Like, I skipped breakfast this morning, so I'm a little hungry, so maybe that's why. But in, in John, Jesus fed thousands of people from the little they had to offer, right? And he fed them abundantly. They were filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. In our psalm read, the eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. And today we get to celebrate the meal of all meals, the meal that symbolizes the human and the divine coming together in simple, ordinary elements, bread and juice, a meal in which we can remember and live into the promise of the resurrection. So when we eat this holy sacrament, this bread and juice, may we know the unknowable love of God. On the night that Jesus was to be betrayed, he took the bread and he raised it up. And after giving thanks for it, he said, take and eat this. And every time you do it, do it in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took the juice. And after giving thanks, he said, This is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you. Every time you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. Holy Spirit, would you come down today on these elements, sanctify them, that they might be the body and blood of Christ for us, so that we might become the body and blood of Christ in the world. All the elements are gluten-free, so you can go to any station. Um, We practice an open table here, which just means if you desire... Um, and are in need of God's grace, I know I am, you're welcome. So do you want to be filled today? Come as you are ready and be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God.